So we're uh, in this series, uh, Things Jesus Never Said. Uh, there's a lot of things in, that people think he said or kind of, you know, culturally. And so they want to talk about it doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you're sincere. That's kind of our cultural uh, mantra today. It's a common belief in our culture today. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. You know, it's your truth. You don't, there's no real truth. There's no, there's no absolute truths. The only truths are your truths. And so, you know, if you're, if you're committed to your truth, you know, then you're okay. Uh, the sense is that God is so loving. If you believe in God, God is so loving uh, it doesn't matter what you believe about God, uh, because if, as long as you truly believe it, if you're sincere about it, then you're going to be okay. You know, you, you don't have to be right about it because it doesn't matter because God is so loving that God's going to overcome all of your doubts or he doesn't care that you don't believe in him uh, just as long as you're sincere. You know, someone might even tell a friend, you know, someone would say, you know, hey, you're okay. You're, you're a good guy. You're a good person. Uh, you're, you're way better than most people. I've often tell people as they're talking about that they're a good person, I've never killed anybody. Like that's the, like, like that's the, that's the minimum qualifier, you know, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, great, great. It's a good day for all of us then. Uh, uh, someone would die. Someone dies. Now, you know, I've talked about this before, but, but there's an, an, an incredible phenomenon. I don't know if it's true around the world, but in America, that somehow, for some reason, people believe, or they may not believe it, but they act like they believe that what the preacher says during the funeral determines whether the person goes to heaven or hell. So what you experience as the preacher is you get a before funeral person and an after funeral person. And before the funeral, oh, Uncle Bob was a wonderful guy. He was so generous and kind. Then after the funeral, we think he was a pedophile. Uh, you know. It's like, well, so you get two different people. And here's the reality is that preachers don't determine who goes to heaven and hell. Aren't you glad for that? That a person doesn't determine that. You know, but we say things like this. We just believe, you know, at funeral time, everybody believes everybody's going to heaven. Well, they've all gone to a better place. Not all of them. Not everybody's in a better place, you know. And the thing is, Granny's looking down on us today. Really? That's kind of creepy when you think about it. I don't want Granny watching me all the time. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> granny, could you shut off the window? I'm going to go to the bathroom. It's like, but that's just this this general thing that every, you know everybody's good and everybody's okay. I want to tell you, I know I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you know, Granny's not looking out for you. Jesus is. And if granny's in heaven, her concerns for you disappeared a long time ago. It has faded into something more glorious and more wonderful than we can even imagine here. It has faded into the person of Christ. So instead of granny watching out for you, we have the third person in the Trinity, we have the Son of God. Maybe the second person in the Trinity, depending on how you measure it. We have the Son of God looking out for us. He is our mediator. He, is, he stands and prays for us daily. I'd rather have, I have to tell you, I love my grandma. I want Jesus praying for me. Amen. Right? 
So then, you know, so then there's this whole sense of all, all religions are kind of the same. All roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. We're so tolerant in our culture today. We're so tolerant of everything but different beliefs. In other words, we're tolerant unless you disagree with me. Then I can't be tolerant of you. Tim Keller says this. I like this. I think this is so true. We need to get a hold of this. Tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. Uh, you know, I can disagree with you and not hate you. Just because I disagree with you. If you, can have, you can make lifestyle choices and lifestyle changes that I think, that, I don't agree with that. I'm still going to love you. I'm not going to exclude you or hold you up because I don't agree with your decision. You can even be a Republican and I'll still love you. <laughs> or a Democrat or whichever it is. I mean, it's funny. We want, to divide, we want to divide into camps. And what God wants to divide us in, he wants us to be the people of God. He wants us to lay all that aside at the foot of the cross. So here's the reality. You, you, people who I don't agree with, I have believed less, then I'm pretty, I'm pretty strong in those beliefs. I, and, but it doesn't mean I love you less. I, I believe the Bible teaches that abortion is wrong. But if you get an abortion, I'm still going to love you. And I believe that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is wrong. But I'm still going to love you. If you mess up, guess what? Just about everybody in here is messed up. If we excluded everybody that messed up, none of us would be here today. Not even me, although I'm pretty close to being holy. <laughs> Which, did you know that pretty close isn't good enough? So we're not resting in my holiness, we're resting in Christ. Amen? So, this is what the world believes. You can go on any daytime talk show and you can talk about your spirituality and you can talk about any kind of weird spirituality you want and how meditation and Buddha helped you and how your past, in your past life you were a princess, which I think I was. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe in past lives. That was a joke, okay? You can talk about Allah or Islam or you can be like crazy Tom Cruise jumping around on Oprah's couch like you're on crack talking about Scientology, uh, and it's okay. You can talk about your higher power, and nobody wigs out. But the moment you talk about Jesus, everybody wigs out. So why do they wig out when you talk about Jesus? It's not because they doubt the historicity of Jesus or that Jesus actually lived. I mean, it's, there's really good evidence that Jesus lived as a person, that he was not made up, that Jesus lived. People don't struggle with the fact that Jesus lived. They don't struggle with the fact of what Jesus taught, that he was a good teacher. Jesus was, the things that Jesus said have actually been to us world-changing. When Jesus talked about loving your neighbors yourself, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So much of what we would call our laws today are based on those principles. Forgive people who have wronged you. Love people who hate you. These are the principles of Jesus. Uh, they like his teachings. You know, Jesus valued children. The culture did not value children in Jesus' day. If you had an undesired child in Roman culture, if you had a, 
if you had a girl, when you wanted to have a boy, you could go and expose that child. In other words, you could go throw that child away, and that was okay. Jesus and the early church changed the value of children because they rescued those children. That how Jesus talked to, to women and valued women and their opinion and their support. If you, if you read, women supported Jesus' ministry. So Jesus changed, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but he, his, his valuing of everyone made a difference. It held down his existence. So they like his teaching, so what's the problem? What, what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. John chapter 14, 6. Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The problem is Jesus said, there's one way to God, and I'm the way. Jesus made an exclusive claim. He said all the other ways, every other way is not a way. He made an exclusive claim that the only way to salvation is through him. Buddhism has no God. It, Buddhism has no real final type of existence. If you follow Buddhism, in Buddhism you have countless rebirths. This is where the Buddhism is kind of a combination, or today when we talk about a lot, you know, that I was a princess or I was, everybody was always famous in their previous lives, you know, for some reason. Uh, that comes from, that comes from Hinduism, you just ism, where there's constant reincarnation. You're reborn and reborn and reborn. Uh, and you just follow this path of endless reincarnations until you reach nirvana. Nirvana is when you, if you follow the path of Buddhism, then you can reach nirvana. And nirvana is nothingness. So, in other words, you escape the cycle of reincarnation. That's the, the essence of Buddhism. Hinduism believes that there is a personal God. That's my grandson agreeing with me. Uh, it's good preaching, isn't it? Uh, Hinduism believes in a personal God that is approached through deities and statues or idols. That's why you'll often see a lot of people that are Hindus. They've got Hinduism has thousands and thousands of gods. Virtually everything that is, exists can be a god to a Hindu. Uh, both Buddhism and Hinduism have, as the basis of their belief, karma. Dharma is the daily life. Karma is is kind of you get what's coming to you. If you do bad things, bad things happen to you. And you can have bad things happening to you because you did bad in previous life. So you're reaping what you've sowed from previous life. Uh, but if you do good things, good things will happen to you. And, that, and kind of that, that, that theology, if you do good things, good things happen, happen to you. If you do bad things, bad things happen to you. That's a really old theology. I mean, that's, if you read about Job, the story of Job... And Job's comforters, Job's comforters have that theology. They have that theology. They're, they're saying to Job, Job, the reason why you're suffering is because you've done bad. You've sinned, and this is the consequences of your behavior. If, you're, if your children hadn't done bad, they wouldn't have died. This is all the consequence of your and their behavior. They are reaping what they've sown. Now, that's a biblical principle. You reap what you've sown right? But not from a previous life, <laughs> not from a previous existence. 
So, so there's this, this karma. You do bad things, bad things happen to you. Listen to what it said in John chapter 9, verse 1. This is a very old religious belief. You get what's coming to you. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Whose fault is this? That's the question. So they're assuming for bad things to happen, it, he, must have, he must have deserved it. You don't, bad things won't happen to you because you deserve it. Now you can cause bad things to happen to you by reaping what you've sowed, but he wasn't born blind because he sinned. He was born blind because he was born into a sinful world. We live in a world that is tainted by sin. We live in a world that is tainted by other people's sin. Right? So this is, this is old religious belief. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said, this happened in the plan of God so that this moment right here where I could heal him could take place. Muslims worship Allah, a personal God, and there are no idols. Your standing with Allah depends on your religious devotion and your works. No Muslim can be assured if they're going to heaven. They can only hope that their works have been sufficient to earn them a place in heaven. That is why some of the more conservative that have been practicing jihad against uh, Western culture, that's why they're willing to kill themselves, strap a bomb onto their bodies, because in an extreme act like that, fly a plane into a building, kill other people in the process, die in the process of executing jihad, that, that's, that way they can be assured of paradise. That's the only way, because they, they, there's, no, there's, way to, there's no way to know if what they've done has been enough. Because there's no real forgiveness, there's no grace, there's no mercy. It's just, have you followed the tenets? Have you kept them all? New Age believes in no personal God. They just believe in kind of everything. Mother Nature, pagan religions, old worships of the past, and, and just trying to be one with the cosmos. The difference is Christianity has a personal God. Christianity is different because that personal God has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We know what God is like because Jesus is an exact representation. He exactly, perfectly represented to us what God is like. And he represented that he is a sacrificial giving God. All these other gods say, what are you going to do for me? God says, look what I've done for you. It's totally different. It's totally different. For in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness, not based on our efforts, not based on our works, not based on our goodness, not based on which caste we were born into. But we're offered forgiveness, we're offered grace, we're offered love as a free gift, which we use the word grace to describe that. So all the other religions may have some truth. It's not that they don't have any truth, but what Jesus says very clearly, I am the truth. There is one truth. 
if you want to know God, and that's Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, it does matter what you believe, and being sincere is not enough. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors who need sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus came for the despised and the rejected. It seems like he went out of his way to reach out to tax collectors. I mean, Matthew, who was one of his disciples, one of the apostles, was a tax collector. He, others that were despised, that were considered sinners, Jesus didn't reject them. He accepted them. To the woman caught in adultery, Jesus said, where are, your, where are those that condemn you? She said, they're gone. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. Jesus offered to her, like he did to you and I, a fresh start. And I mean, think about it. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a a fresh start. You've messed up your life, but I'm going to give you a new beginning. So the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. So in Christ, we get a fresh start. When Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. Zacchaeus, again, was another tax collector. And Zacchaeus saw Jesus coming. He climbed up in a tree so he could see him. And Jesus encountered Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat because you're a tax collector. I have to you know, hang out with sinners. So he went to Zacchaeus's house. And Zacchaeus said, if, I, if, I've, if I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay him back seven times as much as I've taken from him. And Jesus said, Based on that, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The difference between Christianity, being a Christ follower, is being a Christ follower is not a religion. It is a relationship. Religion operates on the principle I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. But the operating principle of the gospel is I'm accepted by God through what Christ has done, therefore I obey. That's what Tim Keller says. I can obey because of what Christ has done. In in reality, the grace that saves us is the grace that empowers us. We're often frustrated because we want the world to not sin when they have no capacity to not sin. And we, because of what Christ has done, have not only been saved from our sins, but by grace now we have been empowered. The same grace that saves us empowers us to obey. Now we can obey because we have been saved. Not for his approval. Jesus doesn't say, come and get better. He says, come and I'll give you rest. Consider the miracles of Jesus. He healed deaf ears. Those who couldn't speak, the mute were able to speak. He touched and healed lepers. He touched lepers. You weren't supposed to touch a leper. Lepers were supposed to stand at a distance and say, unclean. Wow. Jesus walked right up and laid hands on them and touched them and healed them. He turned the water into wine. 
to the frustration of many Baptists. Who enjoyed that so much? Was it? That was Laura. That was Laura. I should have known. Should have known. He walked on water. He fed the 5,000. He raised Lazarus from the dead. They didn't, they didn't question his miracles. They just wanted him to stop. I mean, they believed. Listen to what Nicodemus said when he came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. In Matthew, Jesus was in the synagogue, going on from place to place. He went to their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges. They asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they're questioning, is it lawful to do a good deed on the Sabbath? Because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So they had... They had taken the law of of not working on the Sabbath and they had added layer upon layer upon layer of different things. You know, you could do this. You could walk this many feet, but you couldn't walk this many feet. You could do this, but you couldn't do this. So Jesus says to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Because, you know... We get a little more sensitive to Sabbath laws when it involves our own pocket, right? He's saying, if one of you is, to, if, if you don't lift that sheep out, if you don't put your hand down in that ditch and pull that sheep out, you're going to lose that sheep. You're going to pull, you're going to reach down in that ditch and pull that sheep out, even though it's a Sabbath. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus said, yeah, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored. Jesus actually didn't do any work. He just spoke. He just told the man, stretch out your hand. And when he stretched out his hand, the hand that was withered was healed. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, They didn't know if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath, but I guarantee you they knew killing was against the law, right? They're willing to break the law because they don't want Jesus to do what he's doing. His miracles proved who he was, and so they wanted him to stop doing his miracles. And then we consider the resurrection of Jesus. What sets Christianity apart? Well, Buddha's dead. Muhammad's dead. Jesus is alive. You see, God loves us, but he hates sin. So since God loves us, but he hates sin, that's why Jesus was born of a virgin. He did not inherit the sin nature of his earthly father. Because he had to be the lamb that could take away the sins of the world. So Jesus had to be the sinless, unblemished lamb of God to be able to take away our sins. So then Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a life that we can't live. He lived a sinless life. No one accused him of sin. Jesus lived a sinless life. Then... He died 
our death on the cross. Just think about this. On the cross, the creator was mocked by his creation. As he hung on the cross, those who he was bringing salvation to mocked him. The sinless one gave up his life. The the author of life gave up his life. And in the midst of it, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he said, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. They put him in a grave. And three days later, the grave was empty. Now, you got to get this. The disciples, even though he had told them over and over again, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. They didn't get it. So when Jesus was put in the tomb, they all believed it was over. They all believed what we had hoped for. We thought he was the Messiah, but they killed him. I guess not. They're in mourning. The women went to the tomb, not because they expected the tomb to be empty. They went to the tomb because they hoped to fix the burial preparations that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had done, and they didn't believe that two men could have done it right, so they went to fix it. You ever load the dishwasher and somebody loads it, comes back and reloads the dishwasher to put the dishes in correctly? Anyway, that's a whole other thing. They weren't expecting it, and Jesus was alive. There was no one more surprised than the disciples. Even though he had told them over and over again, they just didn't get it. Has God ever told you something and you didn't get it? They just couldn't see that he was coming back. They couldn't see it. But then they saw him. They saw him alive. They saw him in their midst. They talked to him. He he fed them. They experienced it. So in Acts chapter 3, there was a there was a lame man at the gate. And been there his whole life. Jesus had walked by him. Because Jesus had gone to the temple. This man had at the beautiful gate of the temple. One day Peter and John walked by and they said, silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus get up and walk. And this guy, he didn't just get up and walk. He got up and ran around. And it gathered a crowd because everybody knew this guy couldn't walk. And as it gathered a crowd, Peter began to preach. While the man lame. While the man, the lame man who had been healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So in front of the temple, there was this row of of pillars that made kind of like a porch. Then in front of that were just steps after steps after steps, about, you know, 50 steps. It made a great gathering place. So people, crowds are, they're saying, this man, you know, you can imagine 
They're saying, you know, you remember the guy? You remember that guy who was always begging for money? You remember that guy, you know, who's always over there begging for money? He has been healed. He was, I saw him running around. He was leaping and jumping. They said, what happened? So they all rushed to see what has happened, and they're astonished. And they're running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And Peter saw this. He said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if in our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed over him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. This doesn't seem like the way to really win a crowd, does it? Like, said, you, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. Peter says, we've seen him. He's alive. <laughs> The ladder I get, the ladder he gets. <laughs> Some say Roman soldiers stole the body. That's a theory. One theory is Roman soldiers stole the body. Stole the, body. the enemies of Jesus would have loved to have had a body. The Pharisees would have loved to have said, no, he's, he's not alive. Look, here's his body. Some say the disciples took the body. So these 11 guys who were who the three days ago were so afraid they all ran like little girls, they decided they became suddenly, now they think it's all over and done with, but now they've got more courage than they've ever had. They think Jesus is dead. And in that despair, they had enough courage to rush the guards and overtake the guards. Or there's a conspiracy. So these 11 guys, these 11 educated guys from uneducated, from, you know, a little town, little towns around the Sea of Galilee, they came up with a conspiracy so elaborate to make it look like Jesus had been raised from the dead, and they pulled it off, and all 11 of them kept it secret, and at the same time, this conspiracy, they used the teachings of Jesus to make the world a better place. And with no personal motive, none of them changed their tune. None of them, as they were dying and being persecuted for their belief in Jesus as the Savior and Son of God, none of them said, we were kidding. No, they, they went to their deaths rejoicing that they were worthy to die for the name of Jesus because they didn't make it up. They believed. They saw it. Peter says, we saw him. I'm willing to die for the fact. And he did. Church history tells us that he would not allow himself to be crucified, or he asked not to be crucified the way his Savior was, and he was crucified instead upside down. Consider the message of Jesus. Consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That's Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter what you've done. No matter how dark your life is. No matter how bad you are 
now or how bad you have been, no matter how many sins you have committed, no matter how messed up your life right now, anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to get your act together. You don't have to get your stuff together. You don't have to improve your life. You don't have to get better. You don't have to quit cussing. You don't have to start coming to church. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus paid the price and did the work. See, religion religion's always about me. It's about how I perform. It's about what I do. If I obey, God will love me. It's about what I do. Christianity is about what's been done. Christianity is about what's been finished. Christianity is, is the declaration that it is finished. Because God loves me, it changes. See, religion says, I'm going to obey and God will love me. Christianity says, because God loves me, now I want to obey. It's a delight. It's not slavery. I'm not earning God's approval. It's like, oh, if I go to church, God will love me more. No. Oh, if I mess up, God will love me less. No. Because it doesn't depend upon us. It depends upon the finished work of Christ on the cross and what he's done. It's receiving that. See, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You think, man, that sounds like easy believism. Christianity is not dying. I, want to, I don't want to tell you that living a Christian life is easy. Because living a Christian life is dying to self daily. It's taking up your cross daily. But I want to tell you, becoming a Christian Giving your life to Jesus Christ is so easy because Jesus already finished the work. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. The good news, you see, the gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid the price. And all I have to do is receive the gift. It's already been paid. All I have to do is just say, I receive that. I receive that gift. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. What Jesus would say is, there is a truth. And it makes all the difference in eternity. It makes all the difference in the world. Amen? Let's stand. So, Father, we just come to you today. There's probably people here today that don't know you as their Savior and Lord. Lord, we just rejoice. We rejoice as those that have been, as sinners that have been saved by grace. As those that have been, that were lost, that have been found. We rejoice in the good news. The good news of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus paid the price for me. I can't pay it. I'll never be able to pay it. Jesus paid the price for me, and he saves me when I believe on him. I believe on that finished work. So, Lord, I ask today that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their heavenly father, that they will leave here knowing because they will believe that Jesus died for them. 
They will believe that Jesus raised from the dead for them. They will believe that the righteousness that Jesus has will be imputed to them through the work of the Holy Spirit. They will be made the children, the family, the people of God. In Jesus' name. Amen.